You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. All right, thank you for listening. Today is the 10th of February. As I said before, we're more than a third through the month of February. We got a lot of winter behind us. We're gaining two and a half minutes of sunlight a day. Things are looking up. It's the Feast of Saint Scholastica. May she pray for us. And thank you for listening to Real Presence Live. My name is Monsignor Schumacher. It's easy for me to sit down in my office here at Corpus Christi and it's easy for me to talk. I want to thank everybody that gets us on the air, that sets us up and, and brings on the guests and, and my, my guests who have time uh, to, to share uh, their life and gifts and talents with our, with our listeners. We started with Bishop David Kagan at the top of the hour. And as we come up on 27 minutes past the hour, I want to, I want to welcome Steve Ray, the great Steve Ray, again to Real Presence Live. Steve, good morning. Well, good morning, Monsignor Schumacher. Always good to be here, and it's cold and uh, blowy and snowy here too. You, you, uh, you are have just finished your move. You uh, when when you were here for the banquet, you were in the process yep. of moving. Are you settled? Yeah, we're uh, we rented a small house uh, in Canton. It's a subdivision here by my daughter because she had a baby, and so we were able to help her. And still, in fact, my wife's over there helping him now. And uh, we're building a little retirement house out in the country. So we'll be here for about a year and a half till that house is built. And then we'll move out there living next door to another daughter. And we are living in a little community of about 52 acres that has 28 Catholic homeschooled kids on it. And how, how is your travel it's going? It's picking up. Um, this is probably going to be the busiest year we've ever had. We have 10 international pilgrimages, two domestic pilgrimages, and I've already contracted with 20 speaking events around the country this year. So it looks like it's going to be one of the biggest years we've ever had, back in the air again. Uh, Steve Ray is my guest. CatholicConvert.com is his uh, website. You can look at that. You can look at his books. Uh, I'll be going to Rome in May for some diocesan work. Uh, I haven't I haven't been uh, over water since uh, before the pandemic. Uh, how are things in, in in the Holy Land with with travel and and accommodations and and comfortability, Steve? Well, it, it's it's getting better all around the world. Every day, there's new reports of countries opening up, dropping vaccine and uh, mandates, dropping mask mandates, all that stuff. Uh, we we did go to Portugal, Spain, and France in September with a group to Lourdes and Fatima, and that went very smoothly. And we're going to the saints and shrines of Italy in March, and it looks like they're starting to drop all of the the requirements for boosters and everything. That's what I'm hearing anyway. I'm very happy about that. But uh, we got, it looks like we're going to be starting in Milan, and we're gonna, we've got a sold-out group, by the way, a full bus with Teresa Tamio going with us. And we're going to go from Milan and drive south, hitting all of the saints and the shrines, and then three days in Rome when we finally get there. So everything is looking good. Israel, too. Israel's now open. They said... <laughs> I guess what the, the, the newspaper in Israel said is it's futile to try and stop COVID by locking people out. And they said, you know, they're the most vaccinated country in the world, and they have one of the highest rates of the COVID right now. But it's, it's dropping now, and it's opening, and we're excited. We've got a group, sold-out group going in April and another sold-out group going in May to Israel. 
Uh, Steve Ray would be a wonderful host to travel with. And you, you can look at his uh, work, his travels on catholicconvert.com. Uh, delightful. He was here at our banquet. Uh, you just reminded me I got to forward my vaccine record uh, so I can get into Italy in May. Thanks for, thanks for reminding me on that. Let's, let's get to our topic here, Steve. And we're going we're gonna to talk about Genesis, uh, yeah. the, the, the first book of the Pentateuch. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those five books form the Pentateuch. Genesis is obviously the first one, the first book of the Bible, the first book of the, of the Old Testament. What does the word Genesis mean, and, and how did it get, get its name? Well, even if we said something like, I started a business and the genesis of my business was, I, it's the beginning, how something started. It, so the, it, the word comes from the very first line, in the beginning. That's where we get the word Genesis. It's very simple. It's the beginning, and it comes um, at the very beginning of the whole Bible, and it lays the foundation for everything. It's the beginning of creation, of space and time. It's the beginning of man. It's the beginning of God's relationship with man. Everything is the beginning of sin, too. The beginning of redemption. Genesis 3.15 says that I will bring enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He says that to the devil. And that is the beginning of the plan of redemption to bring us back. So it's a fantastic book. Now, I like to say that the Gospel of John, and I wrote a commentary on that book, it starts out, that book, in the beginning was the Word. Now, I like to say, John doesn't start that way. For no purpose. He's telling you, if you want to understand my book in the beginning that starts that way, you have to understand the first book that starts that way. In other words, if you want to understand the Gospel of John or anything in the New Testament, you have to first understand the first book that begins within the beginning. So this is, um, he, God existed before the beginning. So when it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, it doesn't mean that God also started them. That is their way of saying, before in all of eternity God existed, but at a certain point in the beginning God created. And that's how the book of Genesis starts. I, uh, I'm watching The Chosen. Well, I've watched The Chosen. Uh, the first season is, is free on Prime. I just, I just bought the second season, just finished it. It's called The Chosen. I'm going to recommend it to my uh, faithful here for, for uh, Lent. It's a good meditation. It's fairly good. There's that scene there where John is... <laughs> have you seen it? There's that scene I where... I have not. Yeah, there, there's that scene where John is, 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 is praying and, and collaborating with, with the Blessed Virgin Mary on, on how to begin what, what he wants to write down. And he goes back to Genesis and it, you just reminded me of that. We're talking about the book of Genesis with Steve Ray here. Uh, we have had great conversations and interviews with you about your book on the Creed, and it's it's nice to change topic with you uh, for a while because Genesis is about the beginning. It's about the origins, origins of the world, origins of human beings, uh, origin of of Israel and its ancestors. Why is that progression? Why does it unfold that way, Steve? Well, God had, had a plan, and he works his plan, and he wants to 
I, I like to say the reason he created us, um, some people think that he's a mean old ogre, a grouchy old man in heaven who just wants to judge us and slam us down every time we do something wrong. But the real reason that God loved, created us is because the Trinity, which has existed from all eternity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, like a divine, uh, supernatural family, they have so much fun together. They have so much joy. They're just bubbling over with enthusiasm and excitement about everything and their relationship together. And they said, this is so much fun. We need to create beings who are in our image like us so we can just share all of this fun and love with them. And so it kind of bubbled out of the Trinity, and they created us in the beginning, and he created us so that we could share in all of the beauty of himself, of the Trinity. And they created hummingbirds so that we could watch their wings beat 70 beats a second. They created all of the beautiful things in the world for us to enjoy, the garden. But then we went and did exactly the wrong thing, and we sinned against God. So now he comes up with plan B, and he tells the devil what he's going to do. He's going to send a woman and a man who are going to change everything, redeem everything. So then he needs to begin his whole plan of redemption, which he then you can see that progressing through the book of Genesis. And we're going to talk about it over the next week. And you see, finally, the, the kind of, I think, the pinnacle of Genesis is when he chooses Abraham. And he says, Abraham, I'm looking for a man that I can start all over with. I want to start new. I'm looking for a man that has the kind of credibility and heart and obedience and integrity that I can build a whole new covenant on, which will spread into all of the world and through whom will come the Messiah, Jesus. So this is how God is doing this. And the book of Genesis is so important, um, Monsignor, because... There's a lot of things that we can understand with our five senses. I like to say that we have five. We can smell, we can taste, we can see, we can hear, we can touch. Those are the five gateways out of us, so to speak, to see the real world around us and to perceive what's going on. Take those five senses away, and we don't have any contact, really, with the world. But with those five, we can sense a lot of things. And the Book of Romans says that we can know something about the eternal nature of God and His power, that He created this orderly universe. But there's a lot we can't understand about God with reason alone. And therefore, the Book of Genesis gives us a revelation about a lot of things and how they got started and why they got started, things that we could never understand with our natural reason alone. I always remember being taught that there are kind of three blocks of traditions in the, in the second part of Genesis. You've identified one of them. There's Abraham and Sarah, the story of Abraham and Sarah. There's, there's Jacob and his sons. Uh, and then uh, there's Joseph and, and, and his brothers. Um, in, in where there came a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. But let, let me back up a little bit. Who in the world wrote Genesis? Steve? Well, that's a big debate going on now. Nobody questioned that for the first the book. You know, the story begins with uh, creation, and you've got, um, we don't know when creation was. That's not dated in the book of Genesis. But what we do have is that from the first 11 chapters, we don't know the dates of specifically, but with Abraham, it starts with dated history. From him, we can start making dates around 18... 100 B.C. or 2000 B.C. starts with Abraham. But up until, up until recently, nobody questioned who wrote the book. It was Moses. Moses wrote the book. 
Jesus and the early church assumed Mosaic authorship. They say Moses said this, Moses said that. And there may have been later editing or redaction, maybe Ezra or some others, they restructured certain things. But the whole general idea is that Moses is the author. Some now deny Mosaic authorship altogether, many of the modern scholars. I don't buy into it. It's called the documentary hypothesis series, and I don't want to get too complicated, but they say the priests wrote some things, and the, the Yahwehists wrote some others, and the Deuteronomists wrote others, and then there's a, another guy who wrote some others, and, they, and then there was an editor somewhere more recent who put it all together into the form we have today. You know, I really don't care about that. My understanding is that Moses is the main author of this, of this text. He's the one who brought the law down from Mount Sinai, he's the one that taught it all. You look through the whole thing, it's the story of Moses. And, and I, and, but the bottom line is, is that the Church has told us that what we have in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers is the story of salvation, and it is inspired by God. And I think that's all that we need to care about at this point. Uh, I like the way you put it. Uh, we're going to take a break um, Eli, if we can move into to a break here, I, um, I I always teach my faithful that you cannot understand the New Testament unless you understand the Old Testament. And I'm going to ask you when we come back, Steve, why do so many Catholics disregard? the Old Testament at large. I, I, think, I think most do or don't understand it. The readings can be complicated. And you're going to tell us why, why it's important so that we can understand the New Testament. You cannot understand the New Testament unless you understand the Old Testament. But we're going to talk about uh, how they all fit together and their purpose and importance. My name is Monsignor Schumacher. We're going to take a short break. Uh, we'll be back in just one moment. Live, engaging, and local, this is Real Presence Live, where we bring you positive and uplifting stories and share the great things happening in our local area on the Real Presence Radio Network. Hi, this is Dr. Ryan Sapo from Lumen Vision in Fargo. In addition to eye exams for children and adults, Lumen Vision provides custom contact lens services for patients with keratoconus, severe dry eyes, and hard-to-fit prescriptions. These specialty contact lenses can be made for single vision, astigmatism, and multifocal prescriptions. For more information about Lumen Vision's contact lens services, our website is www.lumen.vision. We have all lost someone to the reality of death, some more tragic than others. I'm Father Chris Alar. While grieving is a natural process, it helps if you know how to navigate your way through it. As my friend Sammy Wood says, you can never get over a tragic loss, but you can get through it. Come to know the stages of grief, which are acute, integrated, and complicated grief. Seek help whenever needed, either from a friend or especially from medical professionals. There is no shame in asking for help. Remember, Jesus accepted the help of his followers while bearing the weight of the cross on his way to Calvary. Don't go it alone. Please visit suicideandhope.com so I can personally pray for anyone you've lost and to get our book, After Suicide, There's Hope for Them and You, which helps with any kind of suffering or loss, not just suicide. I promise it will help. 
Rose Management is a family-owned business that believes in good morals, doing the right thing, and treating our residents as family. Rose Management provides housing to complexes throughout North Dakota and Minnesota. All Rose Management's properties and our maintenance staff are in a centralized location in their cities. For questions, Rose Management can be reached at 701-237-6840 or online at rosemanagement.net. Again, that number is 701-237-6840. You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. We are back to the show. My name is Monsignor Schumacher and Steve Ray is my guest as we have our show of Real Presence Live on your Real Presence Radio Network. We're talking about the book of Genesis with Steve Ray. Genesis is the first book of the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch, the five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. What is the place of Genesis, its role, its meaning? What does it mean? Well, Steve just told us that the name means beginning, the origin. So Genesis is concerned about the beginning, the beginning of the world, the beginning of human beings, uh, the beginning of Israel and its ancestors, um, the beginning of a great salvation drama that is still continuing to play out, actually. Steve, how did you get interested in, in the book of Genesis? Oh, I, I've always loved the Bible, Monsignor, ever since I was a little boy. In fact, my mom is 100 years old now, and we, I go over and read the Bible to her, and I say to her when I read it to her, Mom, I thank you so much for teaching me to love the Bible. So that when I was a kid, my mom used to read the Bible to us, and my mom and dad loved the Bible. And still at 100 years old, she loves me to come and read the Bible to her. And I've always loved the scriptures, and I realized that the beginning of everything is Genesis. We take away Genesis, and we're lost in many ways. And the whole, like you had said about the New Testament, you can't understand the New Testament without the Old, especially without Genesis. Genesis tells us, all these things are beginnings. I love to go through the book of Genesis and find the first time words are used. For example, I just was a live EWTN host for the Order of Malta Healing Mass last Saturday, and I and we're they're talking about we're discussing healing and prayer. And I said the first time the word pray and heal are used is in Genesis 20, verse 17. The first time the word pray is used, and the first time the word heal is used, it says. Abraham prayed for Abimelech, and he was healed. Well, but see, I just love those kind of things. I love the Bible. It's so rich. But Genesis, oh my goodness, it is the, it is the genesis of everything, the beginning. And I, and I, I write Bible studies for Catholic Scripture Study International, and they asked me to do Genesis, and I did that about 10 years ago. But then I turned it now into my bigger book that's going to get published this year. And to just dive into Genesis, and to put yourself back in those days, and to try and use your imagination and get in the sandals of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And by the way, I've been to all those places, too. I've been to Iraq, where Abraham started. We'll talk about that next week or two. Um, I've been to almost all the places the book of Genesis mentioned, so it's easy for me, and I love to put myself in those places and then to share them with other people, too. 
Tell us about your book coming out. It's it's long. You you indicated around 500 pages. Who's publishing it? What's the date on that? I don't know the title of it yet, although I know it will be Genesis something. Genesis. And Ignatius Press is going to publish it. Um, they said it's probably going to the copy editor this month. It's going to be about 500 pages. It was 600. They made me trim 100 pages off of it. So it's going to be about 500 pages. And uh, it's not going to be a difficult-to-read book. My wife said it reads like a novel. It reads fun. I, I, I am not a theologian or a scholar or a philosopher. I'm just a simple guy who loves being Catholic, and I love the Bible. So when I write about it, I write it kind of in story form, and I make it interesting because I know that's what I'm interested in. So I think an eight-year-old could read this book and enjoy it. I'm bringing out in the book all of the Jewish background. I use Jewish commentators as much as I do Catholic commentators, because I like to bring out what the Jews were the caretaker of the Scriptures long before we became Christians and Catholics, right? So I like to understand and and bring out in the book how the Jews understood these passages and how they translated it. And I I think it's going to be a fun book for people, and it'll go verse by verse. So as you read through the book of Genesis, this will give you the background and the fun things that that make the book just come alive. Steve raised my guest. Your book on the creed, Steve, was kind of an inch thick, maybe short and sweet. Uh, why is why is this so long for you? Uh, six hundred <laughs> pages. Six hundred pages it's is, the is it's, longest, yeah. It's the second longest book of the Bible. Did I, most people don't know what's the longest book of the Bible. By the way, they say well, they think and they see Psalms because it has one hundred and fifty chapters. Well, no, it's not Psalms. The book of Jeremiah is the longest of the Bible, and the book of Genesis is the second longest book of the Bible. So if you're going to write a book about Genesis, it's obviously going to take some pages because it's not like 10 chapters. It's 50 chapters that you're dealing with, and there's a lot of story in there. The longest chapter in my book is Genesis 22, which we'll talk about a couple of weeks, a month from now, but that's where God says, Abraham, offer your son, your only son, whom you love. And that chapter is the longest one, because that is the pinnacle of the whole book of Genesis. There's so much packed into those first 10 or 12 verses that um, I just loved writing that part, by the way. But anyway, it's a long book, because it's a long book in the Bible. Let's get back, Steve, to um, what I introduced before our break, which is the connection of the Old Testament with the New Testament. And why Catholics may disregard the Old Testament in large part, I, I don't know, perhaps. Um, why, why, why does that happen? How do we overcome that? What, what, what is the overall significance of, of the Old Testament in our lives of followers of Jesus Christ? Well, one of the reasons I think people disregard the Old Testament is because it's three times longer than the New Testament. Three-quarters of the Bible is old, one-quarter of it is new. And there's names like Methuselah and Melchizedek, and names people can't even pronounce, so they just shut the book and don't read it. And also, got to remember this, too. If, if, Father, you and I had a birthday party today, and we bought a bunch of pizza for the birthday party, and we didn't have didn't eat it all up, and we decided that we'd put the, some of that pizza away for next year, for the birthday party next year. So now next year comes, and we get that old pizza out, and put it on one table, and we get the brand new pizza, and put it on the other table. Which table are people going to go to? The table that has the old pizza from a year ago, or the table that has the new pizza that has 
steam coming out of the boxes. Well, of course, they're going to go to the new pizza. And that's what Catholics think of the Bible. Why would I want the old pizza? I mean, the Old Testament when I can have the new pizza. I mean, the New Testament. And that's how we think. But that's, it's a very wrong impression. It doesn't mean old in the sense that it is antiquity antiquated and not useful anymore. When it says old, what it means is God made a covenant, the old covenant, the first covenant, and now he's made a new covenant with us. Or we can do it with the two F's, the letter F. The Old Testament is the foundation, and the New Testament is the fulfillment. In order to have the fulfillment, it has to fulfill something. What is it fulfilling? It's fulfilling what was foundationally given to us. Any house needs a firm foundation and a structure so that the fulfillment can be built on top of it. And if we understand that, then we understand that the New Testament, you can't understand it. For example, if I say, we say at Mass, you say this every day, Father, Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, have mercy on me. Now, really, come on. What does a lamb have to do with my salvation? If we just start with the New Testament, a lamb just goes around, meh, pooping machine. What does a lamb have to do anything with my salvation? How many people even own a lamb? But yet when we understand it in relationship to the Old Testament, it makes perfect sense. Because in Exodus, there was a Passover lamb that had to die, and the blood was shed and put on vertical and horizontal beams of the door. And now that angel of death would pass over them. In the New Testament, we have the Lamb of God fulfillment. Remember the two Fs. The fulfillment, Jesus Christ is the new Lamb of God, and the blood is again on vertical and horizontal beams of the wood, but this time the cross. And now because of that blood, the angel of death will also fly over us. So when we say Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, it means something very important because we have the book of Exodus. So that's why the Old Testament is so crucial. Throw the Old Testament away, and the New Testament is really nonsense. Steve Ray is my guest. Monsignor Schumacher is my name, the host, and I'm coming to you live from the office of the Church of Corpus Christi, where I'm pastor, and we're talking about the book of Genesis with Steve Ray in his upcoming new book to be published soon by Ignatius Press, around 500 pages. Uh, Steve, I'm thinking of, here's, here's what I'm thinking of now. I, I, I'm thinking of the, the topic of inerrancy and, and, and truth in the Bible. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, yes. thinking, I'm thinking of the, the story of the creation of man and woman. Um, okay, you got the flood and you got Noah. You got the, the populating of the world. Uh, you, so th th let's, talk about, th th let's talk about these, these genres in, in Genesis and, and whether in, inerrancy is, a, is, is, is something for us to be concerned about. And what do you, what do you say? Yes. Yes, inerrancy means that there are no errors in Scripture. That's, it's a simple word. And all through history... There has never been a doubt. Always people said there are no errors in the Bible. The Bible is a true factual book. Jesus Christ is the center of it. The Holy Spirit is the primary author of it, and the Holy Spirit cannot lie or deceive or give false information. Now, there's been a movement in the last hundred years to say, well, you know, the Bible has errors in it where it regards history and and nature and facts, but it is inerrant where it applies to spiritual things like our salvation and forgiveness of sins. Well, excuse me, if I cannot trust the Bible 
in the areas where I can verify it, let's say in historical events or people's names or places, if I cannot verify the truth of Scripture when it comes down to things like history and nature and facts, then how can I trust it when it comes to spiritual things that I cannot verify? The Bible has to be inerrant truthful in everything because the Holy Spirit is its author. Now, it says that the sun rises, say in the, more, in the Bible, say the sun rises in the east. Well, you could say that scientifically inaccurate because we know the sun does not rise in the east. The earth spins, the sun stands still. So if, if we want to be picky about things like that, we, we can say, well, you know, but we have to understand there's figures of speech. The authors of the Bible wrote as natural people, figures of speech. The Holy Spirit, though, superintended the truth of Scripture so that we could always trust Scripture. And the more that we learn, and I wrote an article called The Stones Cry Out. It's on my website. It was published in Catholic Answers magazine. The Stones Cry Out, showing that archaeology, the more we study, the more we find, the more it confirms the truth and the inerrancy of Scripture. Uh, Steve, it's been posed, uh, before we uh, close here in about five minutes, it's been proposed that uh, we should think of Genesis as art, with with the Creator as as an artist. Yeah. Uh, yeah. W- that, uh, explain that a little bit. The Book of Genesis as art, God the Creator as artist. Uh, how do, how is that significant? Well, my book in Genesis begins by saying that uh, look at there's two possibilities either. Something has to be eternal. So what is eternal? Um, Matter and energy or a personal artist who creates things? If it's only matter and energy, then we are really, uh, life is an, an absurd joke. There's no meaning to our life because we're just part of a big machine. There's no personality to it. There's no purpose or meaning. And the sun's going to burn up and we're going to burn up with it. It's all a, a sick joke. And that's, this just gives you no purpose or meaning for life. But if you start on the other side with a personal creator, an artist, so to speak, who creates all these things, and it has a purpose, an eternal destiny and a goal, two different, totally different views of the world. And the, wor- and the general world today, our country, is falling for the, that we're all here materialistic, there is no God, it's just by chance. Whereas we know the other that gives real purpose and meaning is that there's really a creator. I love it. There's two times in the, in the Bible where the word poem is used in the Greek, and I'll just read one of them. In Romans chapter 1, it says that we can know about God, things that are plain about him. God has shown them to us for his invisible attributes, his powers, divine nature, as can be clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In what? In in English, it says the things that have been made. So, in other words, we could see a lot about God by how that which has been made. But the Greek word there is one word, poema. So it says that you can understand a lot of things about God by reading his poem. Or, in other words, if you want to learn about Bach or Mozart or Rembrandt or Michelangelo, go look at their artwork. Go study their work, their opus, uh, their uh, magnus opus, all of their work, and you can learn a lot about the artists or the musicians by listening to their music, by looking at their art, and you can learn a lot about the artist who created all of this by reading his poem. And then there's a second time it's used, and that's in Ephesians, where it says that we are created for, we are his workmanship, 
created for good works. That word workmanship is also poema. So God has made two poems. First of all, the natural world around us, we can read that poem, look at what the artist did, and learn about him. But then you can look at also the church, because the church is also his poem. So in a sense, God has made two poems. One is the natural poem that we can read, and the other is the church and the scriptures, and this great workmanship of his in the church. You can, These two poems you can read, and you can learn a lot about the poet. Steve Ray, we're coming up on 58 minutes past the hour. I think our time has come to a close once again. Uh, thank you for your generosity and your support of the Real Presence Radio Network, first of all. Here, and uh, thank you for continuing to be a, a friend of mine. And always a delight to interview. You're a great interview. And uh, we're, we're going to look forward to, to your next book coming out. Uh, on on the book of of Genesis, um, when do you think you'll settle on the title? Well, the, the publisher always does that. They consult with me, but Ignatius Press will come up with the title. But it'll probably be Genesis, the beginning of all things, or something of that nature. Um, and next next month we'll do another show, and we'll talk about uh, Genesis one through eleven, the first section of Genesis from creation through Noah and the Tower of Babel. And we'll kind of work our way through the whole book of Genesis over six months. So I'm looking forward to that. I tell my producers I always love to see your name on my board. So uh, oh, they, they, they've, been, they've been doing a good job at that. Steve Ray, thank you. We've been talking about the book of Genesis. He's written a book. It's coming out soon. It, it will be by Ignatius Press. It's, it's long, 500 pages. We'll be looking for that. Steve, we'll speak with you again. And um, continued blessings to you and, and safe travels as you prepare for Very them. Very good. Thank you, Monsignor. And Absolutely. have a great time going to Rome, too. I'm looking forward to it. I hope we speak before that. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Steve Ray. Always a pleasure. Always a great contributor to Real Presence Radio. And uh, I always learn. I, I always learn a lot when I interview him. Uh, he's, he's a delight. We're going to take a short break here. Uh, coming up, uh, he just walked into my office a, a while ago. Uh, Nicholas Qualick will be my next guest. He's a, he's a news anchor uh, for a local station here in Bismarck. Uh, I got a lot of questions to, to ask him, and I'm looking forward to our interview. My name is Monsignor Schumacher. We'll be back in just one moment. Mm-hmm. 